and the past two weeks, Moses has been preaching about prayer. And something that he said uh, in his, I don't know if it was last week or in the week before, in one of the sermons he said that in our time of prayer, he, he's trusting that we would experience God and see more of God regardless of the outcome of our prayers. Do you guys remember that? He said that prayer, the goal of prayer is for us to actually fellowship with God and to see Him, to be with Him, to know Him. And it's not so much actually to do with the outcome of what we ask for. So whether God answers your prayer, whether He delays the answer to the prayer, or whether He just says no, the win and the gain for us in prayer is that we get to be with Him. That we get to see and encounter Him. And I think uh, from that place my heart was stirred. And, and if we talk about prayer then the next thing that we must talk about that actually lines up with prayer is worship. And so this morning, I'm going to be preaching about worship. And I'm, uh, this is something that I hold dear to my heart. It's something that I believe God has, for all of us here, is a deeper revelation of worshiping Him, a deeper revelation of being with Him. Um, and so I want to say to you that, did you know that your prize and your inheritance in salvation is not that you have gained heaven? Or I'll flip it around. The, the, the inheritance that you have gained as a saved believer is not that you have escaped hell. Your inheritance as a believer is that you have gained God himself as your prized possession and inheritance. And that for all of eternity, you are united with the God of the universe. And that he has given of his spirit into each one of our hearts that we might know him intimately. This is the life that we may know him. I'm reminded by uh, one of the books that I love. I try to read it every year. It's a book by Brother Lawrence called The Practice of the Presence. I saw it on the bookshelf in the training hall. So chat to Deborah. I don't know if we can uh, take out books there, if it's a library or whatever. But if you are able to get your hands on the book by Brother Lawrence called The Practice of the Presence. And basically it's a story. It's, it's basically letters that someone is writing to him and he responds to these letters. And the main uh, uh, part of what he's trying to say is just this relationship that he has with Jesus. He was a monk, and he worked in, uh, he was washing dishes, uh, that was his profession. And he just explains how he sets out his day to enjoy God, and to spend time with God, to encounter God. And one of the things that he said really stuck with me, and it has shaped my whole walk with the Lord. He says this, and I was, when I read it the first time, I was absolutely floored. Listen to this, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, I got to a place where I made it my chief objective to love God and to understand and know His love for me. And then he goes on to say, whether I was going to hell or not, whether I was going to heaven or not, did not matter to me anymore. I endeavored only to love Him. 
whether you gain heaven, whether you are set free from depression, whether you are free from hell, let it be our mission and our goal to love Him and to understand His love for us. Amen? Okay, so I want to look at a couple of definitions of what worship is. So I'm going to quote some people. And John MacArthur is a wonderful Bible teacher. He says the following. He says, Worship is our innermost being responding with praise for all that God is through our attitudes, our actions, our thoughts, our words, based on the truth of God as He has revealed Himself. Worship is all that we are reacting rightly to all that He is. Amen? That's so beautiful. William Temple says, To worship, listen to this, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to be, to be aware that God is holy, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the world to the purpose of God. I'll read that again. That is powerful. To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the world to the purpose of God. In other words, all of who you are meets all of who He is. And our right response is to worship. So what I want to do this morning, I want to break open a portion of Scripture uh, that speaks about worship. And so we will be looking at this Scripture, and I will be trying to take out some things from this, and just trying to break open how the Lord Jesus taught about worship. So if you can turn with me to John 4, verse 23 to 24, and it's the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan. And it's so interesting that in the middle of a story, that has to do with whoredom, Jesus speaks about worship. Okay? So, the scripture goes, it says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and and in truth. So what I want to do from the scripture is I want to talk about the who of worship. And this scripture actually speaks about it. I'm going to show you. And secondly, we will look at the how of worship. So who do we worship and how do we worship? Okay, and I want to propose to us this morning that we cannot have an accurate and authentic biblical expression of worship if we do not understand and first accept who it is that we worship. Okay, so I want to highlight some things from that portion of Scripture. Uh, if you will look at verse 23, the first thing that I want to highlight, it says, the Father is seeking. In other words, we can't go any further in defining what worship is without understanding firstly that God actually seeks out our worship. I want to say to you, that reveals something of who He is. And I want to make it clear that God seeking out our worship is not a, 
it's not showing a deficiency in God's character. Okay? So God seeking out our worship does not mean that God is less God if we don't worship Him. So whether we worship God or not, He is still self-sufficient, completely perfect, with no deficiency. But I want to propose to us that the fact that God seeks out uh, worship from us is an act of love. And I want to quote John Piper in saying, uh, he says the following, he says, In view of God's infinitely admirable beauty, power, and wisdom, what would his love to a creature involve? It's asking that question. How could God prove his love for us? Yes, we know that he has sent his son Jesus, and he has shown his love for us that Jesus dying on the cross. But I want to say to you that Jesus dying on the cross is a means to an end. Okay? Jesus dying on the cross is so that we can be in a relationship with the Father. So he goes on to say, What could God give us to enjoy that would show Him to be most loving? There is only one possible answer. Isn't there? Himself. If God would give us that which is best and most satisfying, that is, if He would love us perfectly, He must offer us no less than Himself for our contemplation and fellowship and joy. God giving Himself to us is an act of love, that we may know Him and enjoy Him. And I want to say that God created us for His glory. Everything, including salvation, gifts, the church, is for God's glory. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. If God were to give us anything else to enjoy, it would be idolatry. He Himself is the greatest treasure in the universe. And it is right for us to enjoy Him. I want to go on to say, and Moses chatted about it quickly in, 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 when he was sharing, that we in salvation are actually invited into the love and the delight and the joy that exists within the Trinity that they have for one another. That's powerful. That in the Godhead there is a union that exists in love, delight in one another. The Father delights in the Son. And the Son delights in the Father. And the Holy Spirit delights in the Son and the Father. And the Father delights in the Holy Spirit. And through salvation, when the Spirit of God is poured out into our hearts, it's as if God is saying, come and behold the delight that exists within the Godhead. We are invited into an eternal story of delight that God has for God. Wow. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31 says, and this is one of my favorite scriptures, and I aim to do this, and those who know me know that I love to, I love food, I like to eat. It says, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Okay, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that when God saves you, it's as if He is speaking to your heart and saying, let there be light. And you know what the response is? The response is that we love His glory. That when I say that 
When David said this morning that he's the Alpha and the Omega, he's the beginning and the end, that if the Spirit of God resides within you, that there's something inside of you that gets excited. That when we sing about His infinite worth, that something inside of you jumps and gets excited. That is the Holy Spirit that is working within you to give you a delight for God. The second thing that we see from the Scripture about who God is, we see that God is Spirit. Okay? You can put the Scripture up again. John 4. It says, God is Spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in Spirit and in truth. So what does it mean? It means that the essential nature of God is that He is infinite, invisible, and omnipresent. In other words, God is not like us. And that means that God's standard for holiness, God's requirement in worship, is not the same how we think. And if you go read this passage, you will see that the Samaritan woman was talking about this temple, and we worship here, and we worship there, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't understand that because God is spirit and because He is different to you and I, He's got a different measure of worship. And He requires that we worship in a different way. In other words, God cannot be, me- be worshipped in how we think worship should be. And this morning, if you go out here and you ask yourself, and I'm a worship leader, so I'm guilty of this, I asked my wife, how was worship? Who was he worship for you? Yes. Do you know what? Our opinions don't matter. We should be asking God, how was worship for you this morning, God? What did you think of our worship this morning? What did you think of our worship this morning? And we can't hide from that. We know what's going on in our hearts when we lift up our hands and we jump this high off the ground. We know what's happening in our hearts. God, how was my worship? Was my worship pleasing to you this morning? Did I worship you in spirit and in truth? And we will look at the how as we move on. The third thing that we see from the scripture is that God is a father. So you can put up verse uh, uh, John 4 again. You can just keep it up, Ingrid. The Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Jesus is revealing in this uh, instant to the Samaritan woman that God is a Father, which means that He has children. And Moses touched on it last week about our Father who art in heaven. Jesus saying this to a Samaritan woman is mind-blowing. If you understand the context of the day, Jews and Samaritans did not mix. And for Jesus to speak to the Samaritan woman and say that, uh, that God is a father is showing something of the eternal salvation plan that God has to save all groups of men and women on this earth. Not just the Jewish people. But it also means that we can have an intimate relationship with this God as father and as sons and daughters. And I hear in today's day and age, there's a big, uh, there's a lot of talk about what is my calling, right? And you may sit this morning and you, and you ask yourself, what is my calling? What has God called me to do? And I want to propose to us this morning that our calling in the Lord, if He is our Father 
and we are His sons, then our calling is to be sons and to explore the whole depth of what that relationship entails. Now, God will have works for you to do, prophecy, administration, leadership, but your calling first and foremost is that you are called as a son and a daughter of the Most High God, and all your life's journey is to pursue Him and to know Him as Father and you as a son or a daughter. Amen? Okay, so we, we looked at who God is. So let's look at how should we worship. How should we worship? What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? We can say that when we talk about worshiping in spirit and truth, then we can say that the spirit relates to the heart and worshiping in truth is related to the mind. And so I'll give you the title of my sermon. The title of my, ser uh, my sermon is Head and Heart. Okay, Head and Heart. So we worship God with our hearts, but we also worship God with our minds. And as a result of that, we also worship God with our hands. Okay? Head, heart, hands. So in contrast to the woman coming to Jesus and saying that we worship on this mountain, or we worship there and, and in this temple, Jesus is saying that worship originates in the inner place of the heart, in the affections of the person, your desires, your emotions. In Matthew 15, verse 8 to 9, it says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching the, as doctrines the commandments of hands. So in other words, you can worship God with jumping and with lifting of hands and that can do it in your heart. That's got nothing on Creek, creek in your heart. Okay, nothing happening in the heart, but we jump this high. And we must be careful that we make worship all about the external position. And I will get to the, the fact that worship is also about how we use our bodies. And I will look at some of the Greek words or the Hebrew words for, for, uh, for worship. But if we say that we worship in spirit, then it means that we participate, as I explained about the Trinity, we participate with the revelation that the Holy Spirit brings into our hearts about who God is. And it starts here first. Amen? Okay, John 3 verse 5, it says, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, I want to propose that we cannot worship God if we have not been born of the Spirit. We cannot worship God if we've not been born again. And that's a hard check for all of us. Maybe you come in into the body of believers, and you know what we do as, as natural human beings? We try to fit in. So, yes, hallelujah. You say the right things. 
you act in the right way, but inside you have not had a revelation of Jesus. You have not been born again by water and the Spirit. In other words, you cannot worship God in spirit and in truth. And so we must bring our hearts before the Lord this morning and say, Lord, weigh my heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to give us a revelation of Jesus. When I'm standing here in worship and I don't feel like worshiping, it's an opportunity for me to exercise humility and dependence. It's an opportunity for me to come to God and say, Lord, I don't feel like worshiping you this morning, but I'm, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. My emotions are not in line with your worth. Reveal your worth to me in this moment that when I jump, when I sing, when I lift my hands, that it's an overflow from a place of, rev of a revelation of who you are. This must be our prayer before the Lord. Lord, open my eyes. Give me a hunger. You cannot work it up for yourself. The engagement of heart in worship is the coming alive of the feelings and emotions of your heart. And where feelings for God are dead, worship is dead. True worship must include inward feelings that reflect the worth of God's glory. You must protect your heart. The world, and as Deborah shared this morning, the, the world is fighting for the affections of your heart. The Bible tells us to guard our hearts because from it is the wellspring of life. Everything flows from your heart. And if we don't protect our hearts, then we wonder why we don't feel like worshiping God on a Sunday. That we don't feel like worshiping the God of the universe. Why? It's because we have squandered our affections on other things. Let us guard our hearts. Let us protect the sacred thing that God has given us. A heart of flesh that desires Him. Like I said, it does not mean that outward expressions of worship is not important. The Greek word for worship is proskuneo, which means to kiss the ground when prostrating oneself before a superior. So if you look at the Greek word of what worship is, it means to kiss the ground, to lie face down before God. The Hebrew word shaka means to bow down or to prostrate oneself, to make yourself low before God, to be in a place of humility before Him. So worship is bowing down, lifting our hands, praying, singing, reflecting, reciting, preaching, and many of the things that we are busy doing on a Sunday. But what I'm saying is there needs to be a connection between our feelings for God and the outward actions. In other words, heartfelt gratitude can make you cry. You don't just cry. Something happens on the inside that has an overflow into the body. Fear of God can make you tremble. I'm trusting that that would be in our midst, that the fear of God would make us fall face down before Him. The joy of the Lord can make you laugh. The inward feelings and affections define the outward actions in worship. And the command to our heart is simple. And I want us, I, I want to ask that we would preach this to ourselves daily. 
Psalm 37 verse 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. This is the remedy for a heart that desires nice things. Right? You see your neighbor has a new car. You desire a new car or a bigger house or a better job. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. The second thing, now we've spoken about the heart, we've spoken about worshiping in the Spirit, but then we also worship in truth. Now I want my wife to come and stand here with me quickly. For those of you who don't know, this is my wife, Lushal. Hello, babe. <laughs> I just want to say, babe, that you have the most beautiful blue eyes. And you've got the most beautiful blonde hair I've ever seen in my life. I really love you. Okay, you can go sit down. <laughs> and what I wanted to do with that illustration is to say that whether my feelings were genuine in complimenting her, the emotion was involved. I was passing my heart. It was not based on the truth. So does that make those feelings genuine? No. Because she doesn't have blue eyes and she doesn't have blue, um, blonde hair. In other words, when we worship God, we can't just, just be the heart people. We can't just have feelings in worship. Our worship of God needs to be grounded on the truth of who He has revealed Himself to be through the Word. The, the truth of God's word roots us in a solid understanding of who he is. Worship must rest on the true perception of who God is. And that means that when we read through the Old Testament and we see God do certain things that makes us uncomfortable, it's an opportunity for us to change and to say that I'm wrong and I've got an opportunity to ask God for a revelation of who He really is. That we, on the one hand, we can't just worship God because He is love. We must also worship God because He's a God of wrath. And that the attribute of God being love and God being wrath is to be celebrated and enjoyed. That God is glorified in the salvation of people. And that He's also glorified that His holiness is made to be more holy in the damnation of the wicked. This makes us uncomfortable. But if we say that we want to worship God for who He is, on the truth of who He is, we must deal with the difficult things. And so my prayer for us is that we would devour this that we would devour this that as we read of God's infinite glory and worth that it would inform the feelings in our hearts that when we read through the Psalms and we see how great God is when we, when we read through the book of Acts and see God move through the works of the apostles that it would inspire worship from a truthful place 
So I want to say that worship must engage both our emotions and our thoughts. True worship comes from people who feel deeply and who love deep and sound doctrine. I want to say be a student of the word. Use every opportunity to read the word. Some of us come to the Bible and we read it as if it's a manual that gives us the outline of how we should live our lives. And it is that in some way. But much more than this, it's an opportunity for us to meet with the God, the author of this book. To see Him for who He is. And that as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, that we would enjoy Him for who He is. And so what I want us to do in, as we close, um, I want us to respond in a song of worship. And so Michael, you can maybe come to the front. But I, I want to create a moment for with every eye closed, every head bowed, if what I've shared this morning, and as I was sharing, something happened in your heart, or you were convicted and saying like, oh, man, I would love to worship the God of the universe. I would like to know the God of the universe. But you have not actually encountered Him before. And the way that we encounter God is through salvation, understanding that He has given us His Son that is as a free gift, that all we must do is confess with our mouth that we believe that Christ has died on our behalf and receive the free gift of salvation. Confess Him as Lord and Savior of our lives. I want to say that this will be the agenda for eternity. The agenda for eternity is that we will worship God. And it should tell you that if we are to worship for eternity, it means that we will keep on seeing new things of who He is that would fuel our worship for eternity. And so if there is someone here this morning that you've never encountered the Lord, you've never given your life to Jesus, and you would like to join in in the anthem of heaven that glorifies with the saints that Jesus is Lord, that He is King, and that our God and Father is good. Would you just raise your hand as an indication of a response? Thank you, I see that hand. Is there anyone else?